You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for October 2007. Today's episode is titled, The Key to Prosperity. Every action, every thought, every decision, and every problem is to be filtered through the values and principles of God's revelation to ensure alignment with the character, nature, and purpose of God. Living this way is the only key to success and prosperity. If we want to build excellent organizations, we must learn to live according to biblical values and principles. First, I want to just ask you a question to kind of set the stage for our discussions. Uh, I want to ask you, where did you learn business? Anybody? Where did you learn business? On the job? From my mother. Okay? From watching your dad. Okay? Where else? School? Okay? What school was that? School of Hard Knocks. Okay, well, a lot of us have been there. Been there. Got, I've, I've got several T-shirts from that school. Okay? Somebody else? Where, else? where have you learned business? Previous employers. Friends. Okay? Well, you see, we've all, we've all learned from a variety of, of sources. And uh, you notice that nobody said they learned business from the Bible. Did you notice that? Did you notice that no one said they learned business from their church? Or did you notice that no one said they learned business from a biblical worldview from a school, any kind of school? Now, that's very common. And that's not only is it true today, it's been true for a long time. It it was true of Pepper. And Pepper was a man that was born in 1898, over 100 years ago. And he learned business just like you did by the School of Hard Knocks, watching others, just learning from his experience, his own common sense, all those kinds of things, the ways that you said you learn business. So he was very, very common back then, and he's even common today because we're just like Pepper. So Pepper is rocking along. He is struggling in life. Life has been very difficult for him on many scores. And I just want to fast forward to the mid-40s and tell you a little bit about what happened then, set up a discussion question. In the mid-40s, Pepper's got a very struggling home-based business. He is, he is uh, barely making it, feeding his wife and two daughters, a few men that work for him. He works out of his house, just a struggling business. And he's, doing, uh, he's basically doing pest control. He decides he needs to expand his business. And the way he decided that is that uh, one day uh, at, at his lunch break, he's sitting out in the, the lobby of his building. Apparently back then, uh, the most comfortable seats in buildings were in the lobbies. And uh, I guess they were padded seats and they had magazines out there. So he's out there eating his lunch one day, flipping through a magazine, and he comes across an ad about a mordant. A mordant is a chemical that's used in the dye process to facilitate the dye being absorbed by the fabric. And he was reading about this mordant that had been invented and actually discovered, because we don't invent anything since God created everything, we discover what God created. So he reads about this mordant, and he has a passing thought. Has anybody ever had a passing thought? Just like a passing thought that like, whoa, here's an idea. And the idea was, I'm in these homes all the time doing pest control, and the women there are constantly telling me about the problems with their carpets and their rugs and how hard it is to get them clean and keep them clean. And he said one of the problems with the cleaners is that they take a lot of water. And water causes rugs to do what? Shrink and rot. 
So here, here, so here you have all these homeowners wanting this service, and nobody's able to really give them the service they want. So Pepper says, hey, maybe we could use this mordant, put a cleaner with it, and maybe I could clean the rugs without as much water. And if I don't have to have as much water, they won't shrink as much. And maybe that's a better solution to cleaning rugs than what's out there. And so uh, he started experimenting with it. Pepper was uh, the kind of person that he was a good salesman, but he only wanted to sell a real quality product. And, and back in those days, um, basically the stores sold whatever the people would buy, and the people would buy whatever the stores sold. And that's the way it was. There really wasn't much testing or validation of product claims. And Pepper likes to tell a story of what this was like. He said, uh, you know, one day he's walking by the military base, and he notices this guy with a cannon. And the guy with the cannon is getting ready to fire the cannon. And the guy says, uh, what are you getting ready to do? He says, well, at exactly 6 o'clock, I fire this cannon. We lower the flag, and our work day's over. He said, that's interesting. How do you know when it's 6 o'clock? He said, well, every day I go downtown, and there's a jewelry store downtown, and this jewelry store has this pristine, beautiful clock. And I know that jeweler takes great care to be sure that clock is always accurate. And the guy said, well, that's very interesting. And so later on in the day, the guy's walking, uh, walking downtown, he sees the jewelry store, and he walks in, he sees this clock, this wonderful, beautiful clock, and he says, uh, Mr. Jeweler, I... I've heard about this clock, this beautiful clock you have. He said, yeah, I take, take great pride in this clock. In fact, every day at 6 o'clock, the guys up there at the, the military base, they fire this cannon. And if my clock is off, I adjust it. <laughs> he says, that's the way products were back in the 30s. Is basically, there was real, really no validation of claims. Everybody's kind of assuming that you tell me it's good, I believe it's good. And why do you tell me it's good? Because well, you, you tell me it's good because I buy it? Is that why you think it's good? So it's that kind of confusion in the product line. Well, Pepper wasn't going to have that. Pepper is going to have quality products. So he sat down with that Mordant. He says, okay, I'm going to develop something good. But first, I'm going to go talk to the, the chemical company that developed this, this chemical and find out if they'll work with me. So he goes, knocks on the door, and says, hey, guys, i got this great idea for a, for a rug cleaner using your chemical do you want to work with me? And they said, we're not interested. We already have a rug cleaner. We're not interested. He said, may I use your mordant for that? They said, hey, go for it. So he is out on his own, in his own lab, in his home, developing this rug cleaner. It took him uh, several months of trial and error. He finally figures out how to do it, and he's got the rug cleaner. And so, great. Now he's looking for an opportunity. He finally finds some customers that trust him. He tries it out, and lo and behold, it is wonderful. It's the best rug cleaner on the market, bar none. So he says, great. Now I can expand my business from, you know, basically pest control to rug cleaning. So we now have two product lines. So he's getting real excited. So he says, okay, how do I begin to market this thing? So he says, oh, I know what I need to do. I need to go to stores that sell rugs. And I need to sell them on the idea of selling the service of cleaning the rugs. Not only do you sell the rugs, you sell the cleaning of the rugs. What a brilliant idea. So he starts knocking on doors of rug companies. One after another, no, no, no. Nobody wants to do it. Well, here's the interesting thing. For six years, he heard no. Finally, he found one store that said, okay, we'll give it a shot. So they enter into this agreement, and the store is going to sell the rugs, and when they sell the rug, they're going to send Pepper the name of who bought the rug. 
pepper salesmen are going to go call on that customer you know, periodically, once a quarter or once every six months, and encourage the customer to get the rug cleaned. The customer, if they, they want the rug cleaned, they call the store. The store takes the order, then the store calls Pepper and says, Pepper, Mrs. Jones down there wants her rug cleaned. Pepper goes down there, cleans the rug. The store gets a commission. Pepper gets business. The customer got a clean rug. Everybody wins, and it looks seamless to the customer. And it looked like Pepper had a great situation going. And this fledgling little ca company that's struggling with cash flow needs this business. So it, it takes off. And surprisingly to everyone, it takes off with great, great success. In fact, it wasn't just a few months into, this, into the experiment that everybody realized, hey, this is really going to work. And so the partner, the rug store, looks at this and says, man, look at all these calls we've got coming in. Okay? Now, what do you think that rug store starts thinking? Well, maybe I need to set up a rug cleaning department. Okay? It doesn't matter that I have an agreement with, with Pepper to do all the cleaning. Hey, I can still do this, and I can cut him out, and I can make more money. And so he sets up his own department. And, of course, he doesn't have Pepper's cleaner because only Pepper has his cleaner, so he's going to use an inferior cleaner. And Pepper at first doesn't realize what's going on. He knows the business dropped a little bit, but he's still getting business because as the, the, as the store is ramping up its rug cleaning department, you know, they're starting out small and building and building, and gradually they're taking more and more of the calls. And in the meantime, they're giving the overflow to Pepper. So he's kind of unaware of what's going on. And finally, one day, a complaint comes in. A customer was unhappy with the rug cleaning. And, and Pepper says, what's, what's going on? We haven't had any complaints. And so he starts investigating, and he discovers that his men didn't go clean that rug. That it was men from the, the department store that went to clean it, and they had used an inferior product. And so he goes to the department store and says, what's going on? And then they come clean. Now he is livid, absolutely livid, and so are his, other, his men, because God, his men are out there calling on these customers, getting the customers to call the store, and the store is keeping the business. Isn't that fun? All right, so I've got a discussion question for you. You've got to decide how you're going to respond to this. So Pepper Struggling Company spent six years selling a rug store on the idea of providing rug cleaning service using Pepper's special cleaner and Pepper's workforce, his sales force. Customers would call the store who would then refer the work to Pepper's company in return for a commission. The concept worked beyond expectations. However, unbeknownst to Pepper, the store started its own rug cleaning department and reneged on its deal with Pepper. In addition, the rug store took business sold by Pepper's sales force. So how should Pepper, how should Pepper and his company respond to this rug company? Well, to, to give you how Pepper responded to this, I need to give you a little history on Pepper. So let's go back, born in 1898. He's born into a family in Arkansas. In fact, Poca I think it's uh, Pocahontas, Arkansas. His family is very poor. His father is a failed merchant. Uh, his mother wound up spending a lot of time sewing as a seamstress to help support the family. The father was an alcoholic. They moved to Oklahoma, lived there for several years. Uh, finally, um, uh, Pepper's mother just couldn't handle the alcoholism and the abuse that w goes with that. And so she left with Pepper and moved to Chicago, where her family was. And uh, Pepper grew up basically in his grandparents' home. And uh, that was a home that honored the Lord. 
They read the Bible on a daily basis. They prayed together. It was a Christian home. Despite all of that, Pepper really didn't know the Lord. At uh, age, uh, about age 15, Pepper starts trying to become a professional baseball player. He is enamored with baseball, absolutely loves baseball. And so he begins about a five-year career of playing minor league ball. Now, Pepper was a short man. He probably was 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. He was small, but he played, uh, he played catcher. And because he was so busy all the time, he got the nickname Pepper. So anyway, about uh, five years into his career, the war breaks out in Europe. Um, his brother is, is uh, drafted into the military, goes overseas, and he's killed. Uh, Pepper quits baseball and decides he needs to join the Marines. So he does that without his mother's knowledge or permission. And um, once his mother realizes what Pepper's done, Pepper's out on the West Coast being trained. So she begins working with the Red Cross to try to figure out some way to get her son released from the military, which she did. So he was released with a hardship uh, discharge and went back to be with his mom. And he was there for a couple of years trying to figure out what to do. By that time, he had had enough of baseball. Although he loved it and would love to be a professional player, he knew he didn't have the capability of being a professional player. So he began looking around, and he thought, well, you know, I've always been pretty good at selling. You know, when he was a young man, he sold newspapers on, on the trains that would come through uh, the town. And he thought, you know, I can do that. So uh, he decided he would sell life insurance. So he started calling on the plants, the manufacturing plants around the Chicago area, and he would go, go in at lunchtime, and he would sit down around the lunch table like this and just start talking to the guys about baseball because back then everybody loved baseball. They just didn't understand that golf was God's sport back then, but now we understand that. Okay? So they were talking about baseball. And invariably, you know, Pe Pepper could share some of his stories, you know, of playing minor league ball, and, and that was always interesting uh, dinner conversation. And then he would take it into talking about, you know, have you ever thought about the fact someday you're going to die? And we need to think about your family and the financial security of your family. And so that's how he would sell life insurance. He did that for five years, kind of struggled at that, didn't do real well at it, but was able to survive. In 1920, he had married uh, Lil, and they started having a family. So while he's developing this life insurance career, he's also having a family. And along the way, he had, uh, they had a miscarriage, and they had another daughter die. So they had some tragedies in the midst of all this that really, really caused some great heartache for Pepper and Lil as he's trying to build his life insurance career. Then one day, uh, one of his life insurance buddies tells him, hey, uh, today at lunch, I want you to come over to so-and-so's house. And, and he said, okay, I'll, what time? He said, be there at noon. I said, okay. So he goes over to this house at noon. He knocks on the door, and the lady comes to the door, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. Why did my buddy tell me to come to this house today at noon? And he says, you know, so-and-so told me to be here at noon. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's out in the kitchen. And he's saying, what is he doing in the kitchen? So he walks back in the kitchen, and his buddy back there has got an apron on. And he's looking at his buddy saying, what are you doing? You're supposed to be selling life insurance. He says, I found the best thing since sliced bread. We're selling cookware. And the way we do it is home demonstrations. And so Pepper then watched this home demonstration of selling cookware, and he thought, wow, this is cool. This is a whole lot easier working with the ladies than going to the lunchrooms at these plants trying to get the guys interested in buying life insurance. So... He gets pulled into selling pots and pans and cookware and did very well. He really began to do well in this business. He got promoted in the company, became a regional manager. And then the company, in its infinite wisdom, decided 
that they were going to come up with a new, new line of potware, and this, this cookware would be sold through department stores. And it would supposedly be not as good as the ones that are sold through the direct selling chain. So Pepper, Pepper began to watch this, and he began to see sales dry up as people began to go to department stores because they could get it cheaper. And he began to protest to the company, and the company rewarded him by firing him. So uh, he wound up without a job, and this is about 1929. Now, do you all remember what happened in 1929? In October of 1929 was a rather, uh, rather interesting event in the history of the United States. It was the stock market collapse. That was the beginning of the collapse. Right before this collapse, Pepper actually had found a job working for an exterminator. And this exterminator, they did moth proofing. Now, he didn't even know what moths were. And he didn't know why you needed to do moth proofing. So he had to start studying about this. And he finally figured out, hey, you know, these are kind of like termites. You know how termites eat on wood, but moths eat on, on, on fabric. They'll eat your clothes, they'll eat your rugs, your carpet, whatever. So um, he realized, yeah, we need to do something about this. And so he starts working for this company. The company wanted him to buy a franchise. Well, he didn't have any money. You know, he had done pretty well with it, selling cookware, but he had done not so well doing life insurance, so he hadn't built up anything. And he, in fact, he, he, when he lost his job with the cookware company, he also lost his car because he couldn't pay his car payment. So here comes the, the repo guy and takes his car. So he, he didn't even have a car. So he's struggling here, and so he didn't have money for a franchise. So he said, won't you just let me sell on commission? And they said, fine. So he started selling on commission and was doing pretty well. And then one day he goes into work, and the door's locked and knocks on the door, nobody's there. And after he kind of snooping around, he found out that the owner of the company, had, he, he'd taken all his money and he'd left town and basically shut down the business. So now here he is, doesn't have a company to work for, and there's one other guy sitting there looking at the door with him. He's the guy that happened to, to actually do the exterminating. Pepper was a salesman. And Pepper says, hey, why don't we team up? I mean, we, I can sell it and you can do it. And they said, okay, great. So they started doing it. So they started their own company in 1930. Now, the problem with doing exterminating of moths in 1930 was there were no good products. And so Pepper, being a very resourceful man, saying, you know, if I had a lab, I would find a good product. He happened to have a customer that was very close to him, and he mentioned his desire to develop a good product to this customer. And so the customer says, I've got relationships at Northwestern University. I'll get you a lab. So she did. He got a lab there, a biology lab, and he spent three months developing what he called Fumikill. And this was by far the most superior product to killing moss on the market. And so that's how he really began to build his business. Now, notwithstanding the fact that he had a great product, he's still in the midst of the Depression. And when you're in, when you're in the midst of financial struggle, the kinds of things that you don't need or don't buy are things like exterminators. You could put that off. You can let the moths feed a little bit because that's not a priority. And so all through the 30s, he's struggling. The business is really, it's hand to mouth. He's working out of his house. He's got a few guys working with him. And along the way, his precious mom came up and said, Pepper, would you go to church with me next Sunday night? And he said, sure, Mom. He's a dutiful son. So they go to church, and Dr. Harry Ironside is preaching. Some of you may know Dr. Harry Ironside, very famous preacher, very outstanding preacher. He delivered this incredible message about the importance of living your life by the Word of God. 
And Pepper's sitting there kind of not listening. He's daydreaming, thinking about, okay, where am I going to get business tomorrow? And I need to figure out how to expand and, you know, find more sales, et cetera. And, you know, he's struggling with his business, trying to survive. And about halfway through the message, something clicked. And he really began to hear. And he said it's almost like Dr. Ironside was talking to him, directly to him. And he says, I really got it, that if the Bible was God's revelation, it applied to everything in life. And so that night, he got a revelation from God about the importance of the Word of God in defining how he was going to live his life. At the end of the service, there is an invitation given. And Pepper's mom just leans over to him, as only moms can do, and says, Pepper, wouldn't you like to be a Christian? And with that, he just nearly melted in his seat. And he went forward and accepted Christ that night in 1930. So he became a Christian. He became a very committed Christian. In fact, he became a pastor's dream. He was faithful to attend the meetings. He was a student of the Bible. He taught the Bible. He was a youth leader. He did everything asked of him. He was the kind of person every pastor would like to have dozens of. And so throughout the 30s into the 40s, Pepper was, was a, a solid Christian on the outside. Does anybody understand that? On the outside. There were a lot of things that looked right about him. He did have a genuine profession of faith. But, you know, God is always into taking it deeper. And God is always into orchestrating events to challenge us to take it deeper. And uh, I, I would submit to you Job as a, uh, as a case study. Job's a great case study. You know, God was into taking it deeper into Job's life. And if you look at Job 42, you'll see that's exactly what God did through that whole scenario. And so that's what, what happened to Pepper. Pepper had somewhat of a Job experience in 1944. He's out doing his pest control business and with his fumicill. And he's in this closet and doing, this, doing this thing, and all of a sudden, the chemicals explode right in his face. And, of course, it nearly killed him. He winds up in the hospital. For a long time, he didn't know if he was going to live. And then he didn't know if he was going to be able to see or not. He's in a hospital month after month. The doctor's not giving him a whole lot of hope. And while he's there, he has no TV. All he has is his Bible. And the verses that he's memorized and his reflections on what he's understood about the Word of God. And as he thought and reflected and he prayed, he literally had the Lord speak to him in that hospital room. And he began to understand something about the way he was living. He knew he was not fully content with his life. There was something missing, but he didn't know quite what it was. And as he reflected in that hospital room, it became very clear to him what it was. He was personally living for Christ. But he had never taken his business and sought to live for Christ in his business. And that is, he had not, he'd not asked his men to join with him on the journey of bringing glory to God by doing the business as unto the Lord. And he realized that's what he needed to do. And so he began to pray and ask the Lord, said, Lord, if you will heal me and you will restore me, that I will run this business based on biblical principles and everybody in my company will be challenged to do the same thing. In other words, what he began to do was begin to use the Beyond Babel model. For example, the biblical worldview. He began to get a biblical worldview of business. He, at, at that time, he was what we would call today a dualist. 
In other words, he believed that business was over here and, and God and church and all that stuff is over here and they really don't mix too much other than you want to be ethical and evangelize in business. He didn't see the Bible as the handbook for business because he learned business just like you and I did from our fathers or mothers or trial and error or experience or common sense or other people. He did not learn business by taking the Word of God and asking, Lord, show me in your Word how to run business. How do we do business? How do we sell? How do we manage? How do we plan? How do we execute? You know, how do we market? All these things that we do in business, he began to say, my handbook is going to be the Bible. So what he was doing was ridding himself of dualism and taking on an integrated view of life and a biblical worldview was now going to permeate his organization. So this was a huge transformation for him. He really got it that this was a big change. So he gets out of the hospital. God is gracious to honor his prayer, uh, a prayer request, and he, he heals him. He restores him. He has full sight, full capacity. In fact, the doctors are kind of amazed. They never expected him to recover like this. But here now he's recovered. It's 1945. He goes back to his, his business, which has been struggling over the last year without him, and he walks in the door and says, guys, I need to tell you things have changed with me. Okay? And so he lays it out to him. He says, look, this business is going to be a business where everybody in the business is going to walk with God and do what God's called them to do. He began to see everybody with dignity and purpose because everybody's created by God. And so he lays this out to the guys. And to a man, every one of them said, we'll do it. We're on board. Now, Pepper knew Whenever you take a step with God, there's going to be a test. You all figure that out? When you, when you, particularly when you move forward and do something different that you've, you've ever done before, you're going to be tested. In sports, we call them gut checks. We're going to see really if you're there, if you're in condition, if you can really play this game. And so this whole scenario with this rug store was the gut check. This was their first test. Pepper's been out for a year, okay? And now they have this opportunity with this rug store. It looks like it's, gonna, it's the thing that's going to turn them around because with Pepper out, the company's been struggling. He's, he's the driving force of this thing. He's been gone for a year. So this company's really struggling. They need this business, and they thought they had it, and then they discover this, this rug store is not, not trustworthy. And so now here they're looking at no cash flow, no, almost nothing in the bank, and we've got a dishonest partner, so what do we do? And, of course, they're going ballistic and... You know, they're thinking all the things that you thought. Well, we sue them, you know, all, all those kinds of things that come up. And so then they, they, caught, they kind of grabbed themselves, wait a minute, we have made a commitment to run this company using the Bible as our handbook. And a handbook is the source of wisdom to do anything. So we need to open the Word of God and ask the Lord to show us so we begin to pray and seek in Scripture what He wants us to do. So they begin to do that. They begin to consider all aspects of this. They realize he's this, this particular partner is not trustworthy. We cannot be equally yoked with him, which is another part of the Beyond Babel model. Equal yoking is you have to have the same value system to be equally yoked with somebody. If you're not equally yoked with somebody, you're going to have a lot of conflict. So they realized they could not continue with this party. Then they realized, well, there's customers to consider here. We, want, we don't want to leave these customers in a lurch, and this, this rug store is not capable of handling all the demand. What they did is that they said, okay, we're going to go back to the rug store, and we're going to say, look, you violated the contract. We're going to dwell in truth. That is truth. One of our options is to terminate the contract. We are going to do that. We can't work with you since you're not trustworthy. 
But we're not going to leave you in a lurch. We will be here to back you up for six months. So we will do your overflow to be sure your customers are taken care of. And we, we release you. We forgive you. They forgave them. We forgive you for what you've done to us. And we are praying the Lord's blessing on you. And so that's how they responded to that. Now, they had no idea at that point whether they'd even survive. All they knew is that was the biblical revelation they got by praying and seeking in the handbook, the Bible, what they should do. And so as they did that, they were utterly amazed over the next few months to see the Lord open up blessings for them. In fact, at the end of the year, they looked at the year and they said, Wow, how did this happen? We had the best year we've ever had. And they begin to reflect and realize it's because we really walked in truth and integrity to our conviction. We really did live out the truth that the Bible is our handbook, and we are committed to glorifying God, every man in this company, to do it so that we, we look like Christ, we smell like Christ, we, we feel like Christ to anybody that contacts us. And so that began the, the revolution in this company that over the next five or six years totally transformed this company. In fact, the company became so well-known that people began to come and knock on their doors and say, we would like to connect with you. Would you let us be a franchise for you? So in the early 50s, they began to franchise this business, and they began to expand and go nationwide. Finally, along the way, uh, Pepper had been operating this thing as a sole proprietorship. They decided they needed to incorporate. So they, they, uh, at the time that they did that, Pepper had two key partners with him, uh, Ken Hansen and Bob Winger, and so they, they incorporated under the name of Wade Winger and Associates. And that name was kind of an awkward name um, because, I mean, can you imagine the secretary, Wade Winger and Associates? I mean, what, what is this? I mean, no, you don't even know what this is, nothing about what they do. And so Pepper began to sit down and think about this. By the way, Pepper's name was Marion Wade, for those of you that, that are interested. Well, anyway, Marion's sitting down, he's thinking one day, he said, you know, we need to change this name because this doesn't really represent what we do. We've got all these franchisees now. They're out there doing our services, and they're, they're, they're representing us. They're bringing glory to God in the way they're doing business. And, you know, we need a name that really speaks of the essence of the business. So as they, they talked about it, they said, you know, the essence of our business is service, and we're all about serving the Lord or the Master. So let's call this Service Master. And so that's how Service Master was birthed. It was birthed in the heart of a man that was willing to commit all to Christ, who was on his, virtually on his deathbed realizing that he was having a divine encounter that was going to change his life. It was going to change his paradigm of Christianity. It was going to take him deeper, just like Job was taken deeper. And if he responded properly, there would be incredible blessings on the other side. And so there were incredible blessings, and you and I have been the recipients of it. Not only have we probably been blessed by Service Master and its, its quality products and services, we've been blessed to have a model for how to do this. A company that took, although he didn't know it, he took the Beyond Babel model because the Beyond Babel model is not unique to me. It's a biblical model. All I've done is just put it together in a model. But he took the principles, the same principles that are in the Beyond Babel model, and he used them. Starting with biblical worldview, he put together an equally yoked team, and then he got very strategic about what the organization was supposed to do and stayed focused on that. And then they executed with excellence. 
They, they, it was a, a high priority in that organization that everything be done with excellence, and the validation that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing was always the customer. They never tried to self-validate. They always look for the customers to tell us how we are doing, and that's what the Beyond Babel model does. It's a tool to help you line up and use the Bible as your handbook for your business. So we have a great example in Service Master, and what a blessing to have that. It's sad, as I watched you guys respond, not many of you knew that story. How many of you knew that story? Anybody know that story? I mean, this is a wonderful story. And, it, and believe it or not, the story is in print. The book's out of print, but you can get the book. And what's happened to us today is we have forgotten the lessons of the past. The Lord has really reminded me this week about the importance of staying connected to our historical roots. Great men of God, like Marion Wade, have already fought the battle of uncovering what it is, how to run a biblical business. They've done it. And we have, we have disconnected from that, and we have disconnected from it because we've gone back to dualistic thinking. What enabled Marion Wade to go forward was rejecting dualism and embracing holistic thinking. And so that's what we need to do today. We need to embrace holistic thinking in everything we do, bring the Bible into our lives in every area. It becomes a handbook for everything we do. And now we begin to seek the Lord and follow biblical principles in everything we do in life. And that's when we build the service masters of the world. So, Lord, give you grace to do that in your business, no matter what it is. You can start just like Marion Wade did in a small business, a struggling business, in a home with very few people, and you can build something that looks like Jesus and honors him and blesses the world. So, Lord, give you grace to do that in Jesus' name.